Welcome to Divorce Stories with attorney Dennis Vetrano, the show for people that want real answers to real divorce questions from a real divorce lawyer. And now here's your host, attorney Dennis Vetrano. So welcome back, everyone, to Divorce Stories. I'm your host, uh, divorce attorney Dennis Vetrano, and we have a special guest today. And like I've said before, we've had some really great ones lately. This is no exception. Christy Overstreet is here. We're going to talk about what a healthy sex life should look like. Christy Overstreet, your Southern sex therapist, is a clinical sexologist, certified sex therapist, psychotherapist, author, speaker, and podcast host. She's the creator of the Ideal Intimacy Method program that helps women get emotional and physical intimacy without sacrificing their needs. Her mission is to help people experience self-change, to feel more empowered and connected in all of their relationships, and is the founder of the Therapy Department, a virtual wellness practice that provides counseling, coaching, and consulting throughout the world. So Christy, welcome, welcome, welcome. Let's talk about sex. Hey, Dennis, thanks so much for having me. And absolutely, we will. Okay, awesome. So let's start off with the first topic. What is sexology? Well, to break it down, it's basically the study of sexuality, our actions, our beliefs, the factors that lead us to be connected with our sexual self. And the fact that I get to do this all day, and it's actually a field of study is pretty incredible. I'm very lucky. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So what made you want to get into this field? Well, it was a complete accident. It was actually a big failure in my professional life that led me to become a therapist. And without going into the long story, I ended up in the field of therapy. And what I started noticing was there were so many individuals and couples that were really struggling with intimacy and gosh, just talking about it, right? It's hard to talk about. And so we don't, as therapists, we don't get trained. We get like a really simple, basic course in human sexuality. It's all we get. So I knew if I'm going to make a difference in this and people exploring their identities. I've got to get more specialized training. And that's what led me to say, I want to learn and gobble up all that I can in this field. So it was total accident. Thank goodness. It was the best thing that ever happened to me at the time. Didn't feel like it, but I'm really grateful. Yeah. You know, I always tell people, I say things happen in your life for a reason, nine times out of 10. And it leads you many times to the place where you belong. So, and yeah, oh my God, there's a huge need for that sort of expertise for sure. Um, So tell me, what does a healthy sex life look like? Well, it's individualized, right? What I feel is healthy sex life for me, it might be different than you and everybody else listening. So what we have to do is say, what feels healthy and right for me? The basic is to say, what do I need to feel my wants, needs, and desires to be fulfilled in a healthy manner, whether I'm soloed or in a partnership? And then what am I doing to take care of my sexual self? Is it working for me? Is it not working for me? Is it healthy for me? Is it not healthy for me? And really just continue to assess how much we're aligning ourselves with our sexual self. Right. Now, is it attached to a number? Because I always find people will say, you know, how many times a week should I have sex? How many times a month? What should I be doing? What should it be? You know, does, does it need to fit that like, hey, it needs to be two times a week sort of model or something different? Isn't it funny how we, we kind of put ourselves to kind of scale to see where we're falling at? But the thing yep. about numbers, it does help us if we're in a partnership to talk with our partner about like what we'd want or not want. But it really doesn't have to fall into a number because every single one of us are in different places in our lives at different times in our lives, even within the relationship, because there's different factors, right? There's parenting, there's job, there's financial security. There's so many things that affect what turns us on and turns us off, which absolutely affects the number of times a week we have sex. 
I'll tell you, after all these years, I'll tell you pretty average of a couple that is healthy and both getting their needs met more times than not. It might be somewhere between maybe once a week, two if they're really lucky. Now, this is not saying what it needs to be, but pretty average if a couple is moving along. Now, that being said, I don't want anybody to hear me say, okay, Christy said we need to have sex twice a week. Did not say that because everybody is so different. But what I want you to think about is there will be in every relationship you're going to have different desire levels. There's times where you're going to want it more, or maybe your partner wants it more, or you want it less. So this idea of a difference in libido or drive, that is normal. Like we've got to right. stop thinking something's wrong because it's different. The right. problem comes when y'all can't talk about it, right? When a couple struggles to talk about at least a lot of fight and then conflict, that's when it's a problem. Not that it's there. To think that we're not going to have differences in libido is just wild and unrealistic. So it's really saying, what do I need, partner? What do you need? Let's come together and collaborate and come up with a, a decision of what we're going to work towards, but give each other grace that it might be more or it might be less. We're not going to judge one another over it because that's going to lead right. to more problems. Right. Now, what are the factors that come into it that that determine like, you know, libido, like who, who wants it more, who wants it less, what they're looking for? What are the factors that impact that? One of the biggest is stress, the amount of stress that's Ooh. happening, right? Especially in these times with jobs, finance, and you know, kids, depending on when this is heard, kids are going back to school, the kids are going off to college. It's like a lot of financial stress. And if the partner's the one that's really uh, you know, feeling a lot of the stress, or maybe their primary breadwinner or kind of carrying the load, for some individuals, that can make it like, hey, I just am too much in my head. I can't really focus on this. For others, they may be like, hey, sex is the way I blow off steam. It helps me relax so I can disconnect, right? right? So there's different things that they might need. But what happens is when there is, you know, the differences is just to be able to communicate it and to be able to talk about it. Another factor is medical issues, mental health issues, medication side effects. It could be like a blood pressure medication or a diabetes medication that could cause problems with um, sexual health. And then another one is lack of communication. That is such a big one. Yeah. There is so much. Re- I mean, gosh, you—you're an expert at that in the sense of like issues within the relationship. Right. Who wants to have sex with somebody they don't like a whole lot? That—that's right. the problem. Right. And it's funny because, like, I think we're on the same page in that. Like, look, you know, even in my profession, like, look, I—I I studied to be the best divorce lawyer I could, trial practice, handling cases, all these—all these finer points, nuances of divorce law. But at the end of the day, I felt like I still had people leaving my office, like even though I went in there and kicked ass as a divorce lawyer, like not thrilled that they went through the process and still, you know, this angst about it and everything else. I wanted to try to find a way where I could prevent people from getting there, prevent you from getting to my office, like find a way to be more productive in terms of the advice you're giving. So, uh, yeah. So, um, so listen, how do you keep your sex life exciting interesting and fulfilling when you've been married 20 years. Now I see these couples that come in and say, Oh, you know, one of the first things, not that I necessarily inquire about this. One of the first things people will say, well, we're in separate bedrooms or we haven't had sex in, in five years, or I'm, I'm not attracted to him at all. Or, you know, I'm not attracted to her at all. And, and it's like, in many ways, you hear that in the divorce consultation chair, but you also hear that from a lot of people who've been married a while. And, and many get to the point where they just ex- they think that's normal. They think that's acceptable. So how do you keep it interesting, fresh, exciting if you've been married so many, so many years? That's a good question, because whether you're in conflict and heading towards that direction or you've just been together, you still love each other, but you just don't have that fire anymore. 
Right. I'm glad you normalize that because we're not supposed to feel the same way when we first got together. And I'm so sick of these people out there saying, I'm just going to go off real quickly. I'm so sick of these people out there saying, oh, you need to get back to like you were in the beginning or get back to that honeymoon and get back to how you were feeling. It doesn't exist. It is setting us up for failure to think we're going to get back to that place. It's unrealistic because we got history. We got problems. We got stress. And we've seen them in every way but Sunday looking ways that does not do a whole lot for us. But it's important to know if we let go of this idea that we got to get back to where we were and create what can be better, deeper, more passionate than that place we were in the beginning, it gives us something to work to. So to keep it interesting to say, hey, I'm not the same person we first got together. Thank goodness. I mean, I was a train wreck and somehow you stuck around. So <laughs> very grateful for right. Rob. <laughs> right. But saying, hey, you know what? Let's keep it interesting. Let's go do something. Let's get out of the house. Let's go have an adventure, even if it's just a couple of hours to go somewhere we haven't been together because sex and passionate fulfilled sex does not even start, let's say, in the bedroom. It starts the flirting, the talking, the exciting, changing up the monotonous and pace. And yeah. without that, we can't keep it fresh. It'd be unrealistic to think that the same person you've been with 15, 20, 25 years, you're going to feel the same way as you did in the beginning. We're not supposed to because... If we do this in a healthy way, we're more respectful of them. We're more intrigued by them. We're more grateful for them and what they're bringing to our life. Just like we're adding to their life. It's the emotional intimacy. We want to deepen because I promise you when emotional intimacy goes up, physical sex will as well because they're so connected. That's where the trust, the security, the interest, and the evolving happens. And I'd take that any day over like the next shiny object that walks by. That's passing. But that fulfilled, deep, passionate, emotional, intimate love, that's what's hot. Okay, so guys, for, for you guys that are listening out there, listen, that was a really, really important piece. And I think, you know, it's funny because I was watching a, uh, a video from a sex therapist on TikTok. And what he had said basically is, look, your introduction, your start to intimacy, or let's say, I know they're not the same thing, but you know what I mean? From a guy's perspective, sometimes they mold those two things together. Mm -hmm. um, it starts days before, not minutes, not hours, days, and it's not foreplay. It's emotional connection that takes place long before all of the things you're saying. I think I'm sure I'm butchering all the words that I'm using, but, but yeah, I think you know where I'm coming from. And, uh, but the funny part is, I think guys need that too. I think a lot of times yes. we just think, oh, guys just need the physical. They just don't want this wham, bam, thank you, ma'am sort of thing. And that's all they're interested in. Guys want that emotional connection, too. I really do believe that. And I think it helps drive their sex drive as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think men get cut short so often by that. This is something, oh, they just will take whatever. No, a man who is evolving within himself and wants a really fulfilled life may want partner or partners who are fulfilling, too. And that comes from that emotional intimacy because a man wants to feel secure and safe and not picked on, talked about, lied to, and, and wants to feel secure in that. And when you can make a man feel safe and secure and gratitude for him, he will do anything to move mountains for you. And I think that's where we miss out so much that I think men do not get the credit that they need, especially in the area of emotional intimacy. And it can even look a little bit different maybe than how a woman looks it. And that's okay. Or it could look the same. It's more of a not jumping in and making an assumption and they don't want that. And that causes a lot of conflict. Yeah, yeah. So uh, in one of your podcasts, you explain why we need a sexual buffet. Let's talk about that. That intrigued me. <laughs> yeah, it's one of my favorite things because 
I, I've seen so many individuals and couples that get stuck in that monotonous, right? That routine, day-to-day, right. pairing, handling bills, finances, all that stuff. And the way to take that conversation we we're having earlier about keeping it hot and interesting is to have some variety in that. And let me be clear, the variety of a buffet looks different in every restaurant we go to. Uh, you know, upstate New York, that buffet might look different than right down south, right? Our buffets right, look for sure. heck of a lot different. I don't even sure. know why y'all put sweetener and grits, but I won't even get started <laughs> on that. Um, but with that being said, it's just like a buffet. It's options. I might go into to get me a good breakfast and I might take a little bit of that, leave that. I'm not feeling that, but maybe I'll put a little bite of this the next round I go through. Just like we treat a buffet, we treat our, our sexual selves in that relationship saying, hey, what's on tap? Maybe we can add this. I'm interested in this. What do you think? Oh, no, that doesn't do it for me, but I got some feelings come up. Can we try this? Maybe we bring a toy. Maybe we talk about some fantasy. Maybe we do some role play. Maybe we watch this or listen to that. Having something built in that you both don't personalize as if it's something done to you or it's something really about you gives this space to be able to build the excitingness because to think that, especially if you want to be with the same person, to think you're going to be with the same person long-term and do the same thing all the time, it's so boring. That will keep you stuck. But having a buffet that's agreed upon by both people and having a safe place that you can talk about it, bringing up without causing conflict, right? Without personalizing and making it about you, which highly it's probably not, that we can pick from that and choose and know it can evolve. They may say, you want to have sex? No, I'm not feeling that. Hey, how about a blowjob? That sounds awesome. I can do that. We'll catch, you know, this sex or we'll catch, you know, the toys next time. It's having flexibility to move and shift in what the needs are without it having to be the same thing. And then if you can't do something or deliver on something that you're holding a grudge against the person for it and getting resentful and that causes a lot of issues. Right, right. So, so I got to ask you, I mean, I'm sure I, I, w- I would guess there's a lot of guys out there saying, well, how do I even approach, how do I even approach that conversation? Okay, I want a blowjob or I want this or what have you. I say I want, maybe that's not the wor- best way to phrase it, but how do you even approach that conversation? It's kind of intimidating. Absolutely, it can. It can definitely be intimidating depending on what the status of the relationship is at the time. Like, how do you bring that up, especially if it's hard to even talk about it's okay to say, hey, I really want to keep growing with you or find out what words feel best for you. I really want to keep improving. I want to be with you. You're my everything. I don't want it to be good for you and good for me. Can we talk about this with us not jumping on each other's throats about it? And what that means is right. can we just explore and talk about it? Just because I say I might want this doesn't mean I'm going to go do it, but can we just talk about it? And to do that, you got to have the knowing of where you're at with trust in the relationship because- yeah. If we don't feel trust that we're secure and safe by bringing up these things, we're not going to be able to jump out there and have them. So to have a conversation, you and your partner need to understand that trust isn't an all or nothing thing. We don't trust somebody or not trust somebody. Trust is on a scale from zero to 10. I was just working with a couple recently and uh, the wife said, I don't trust him at all. I'm like, no, 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 not true. You do trust him because you're with him. Like you're with him in some capacity. So you have to have some trust. It might be at a one or two. You want to get it maybe to an eight, that's what I'm hearing you say, but don't say you don't trust them because you do if you're with them. And we think of trust as all or nothing. It leaves us in this very um, lost place of like, I can't bring up talking about fantasies because if I do, she's going to think I'm going to go cheat on her where I just want to talk about it. So assess where the trust is at. And if you need to improve trust so that you can have these conversations, the way you do that is your mouth and your feet go in the same direction. If there has been a time where your mouth and your feet did not go in the right direction, right? You want to let time pass 
of your mouth and feet going in the same direction. So you build that trust up past the right. catalyst event. Then you can have more of those conversations. You just can't jump and launch into those or you're going to potentially cause some conflict. Okay. First soundbite, mouth and feet in the same direction. I like it. That's awesome. Um, it works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it. I mean, look, if, so what if your spouse wants to try something new in the bedroom all of a sudden? I mean, is this a red flag? Is this something somebody should be concerned about? And how do you, how do you deal with that? Well, it depends on where we're at in the relationship. I know that's not super specific, but think about it like this. Yeah. If your partner who is just like, same thing all the time, doesn't make any change, all of a sudden says, hey, I want to bring somebody else to the bedroom. Can that be a red flag for you? Yeah, it's probably like, whoa, wait, what? That's, whoa, yeah. that's something. Yeah, let's talk about that um, after I like freak out or whatever the person is going to respond potentially if it's new. Right. But it doesn't have to be. It can be, all right, I hear you. We got to talk about this. I don't know what that means. I don't know what you mean when you say that. Can, can we talk about this a bit? And the assumption is that they're going to say, yeah, of course, let's talk. I don't even know if I want to do it, but I just want to talk about it. Right. So what I would encourage you to do, even though it's going to be so hard to not personalize, don't make it about you and jump into this as an argument. Right. Because we know our perception is our reality, but it doesn't have to be that way. It can be like, hey, something's going on. Let's talk about it. Um, and say, hey, I'm open to talking about whatever you need to talk about. I can't make any promises, so don't hold me to this, but we got to discuss this. And for your own self, look at what you felt. Did you feel, did you feel fearful? Did you feel like caught off guard? Did you feel like, hey, that, that's something I thought about. I didn't have the you know, strength to bring it up. Maybe we right. can talk about this. Assess where you're at, but don't make it into the next argument. I think that's where we really struggle as people is we're like, okay, here's something else for me to be mad about and to kind of bear my cross through it. So it's okay. It doesn't have to mean something if you don't make it mean something. And it all goes in how you navigate that conversation after it's said. The person saying it and bringing it up can be very fearful because they're worried about it having a conflict. Or maybe it's, you know, a woman wanting to, you know, talk with her partner about maybe she wants them to do something different or she wants to bring in a sex toy and she knows that he may say, am I not enough? So she might be fearful of that. Yeah. So it's just important to say, I just want to talk to you about this. I love you. I care about you. I want this to work, but I want it to be really great for both of us. Can I just talk about what I'm feeling around this? Right. And the goal is if you can talk about it, potentially can explore a little bit deeper. Now, should they be seeing this as like a red flag of maybe they're going to cheat or maybe they're going to step out on you? I mean, I, you know, if all of a sudden there's this new stuff, I mean, what's up here? I haven't seen this stuff before. How should they feel about that? Well, it, it does not mean that it's got to be a red flag. This person may have heard it on a podcast or they may have heard it, you know, somebody talking about it on a you know, radio series riding into work. Right. It doesn't have to mean something, but it's good to talk about it to ensure that if you're feeling like it's meaning something, it's highly likely there's something else underneath there that got triggered for you since it's caught that far off guard. So just take time to explore. It. And again, it doesn't have to mean something, but it doesn't mean it can be ignored either. Okay. Okay. So if you're not on the same page, sexually with your with your partner with your spouse libido what have you what you want to explore how do you get on the same page how do you get to where you're together rather than like that yeah well first of all i asked the couple to say hey do you want to really make this work because some people are like well we're so different um i don't come get us on the same page i'm like well you don't even really like each other so you want to have right. sex with each other but you don't so do you really like each other then do you really love each other that you want to put in the work? Doesn't have to be right. forever. Do you put in the work for where we're at right now? Right. So to get on the same page, it's really saying, are you willing to give? And the other partner, are you willing to give? Are y'all willing to collaborate and come together 
to hold space to figure out what both of you want so y'all can meet somewhere in the middle. Not, right. you don't have to, you know, negotiate, but you gotta collaborate. And really the willingness to do that and explore what's underneath it saying, hey, like I get triggered when you bring up about when you're wanting sex four times a week, it makes me feel like I'm just here to have sex with you. It feels like you don't care about me because you don't stop and talk to me a whole lot except about logistics right. for everything. So it's like, oh, oh, I'm not giving you enough. Oh, I'm not listening. Okay, yeah, I'll put my phone down when we're hanging out and give you a little bit more attention. Okay, then I'm going to want to give you a little bit more attention. So it's this, it's this flow that you both have to give, but you both have to speak up about what you need. This is where the emotional intimacy and the physical intimacy are so highly linked. That while our emotional intimacy goes up, it's highly likely our physical intimacy will go up as well. Okay. Um, do you find that people's interests and their drive, et cetera, libidos evolve over time? Yeah, absolutely. It evolves. And it really depends on where they're at and where they're at in their own life. Are they working on their personal self? Are right. they, you know, have they dealt with their shame? Have they dealt with their triggers that come up? Have they dealt with their past history of getting to on or whatever happened? And are they really keeping themselves healthy? Are they physically active? Um, yeah. How do they want to evolve? Are they taking care of their medical issues? My gosh, their mental health issues. Is there a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety? All these things factor into it. And then we have, you know, post baby and then how that affects, you know, the males in that space too, after having a baby with their partner, how does that affect them? So yeah, it evolves. Um, for a lot of women, I think we oftentimes forget that as we get older, it gets better for us, even though we know menopause is coming and there's some symptoms that goes along with that that are extremely real. The, the knowing ourselves, the being connected to our sexual self, the wanting to explore that for many women is there for men, some men that goes down a bit because of the testosterone or sometimes medication or factors that are affecting that testosterone. Doesn't mean all, but yeah, changes happen and evolve. I can tell you the tighter our relationships are, the more intimacy and the more trust you're going to have a healthier connection to your sexual self and your libido. And how do you work on those changes? I guess that's what you just said. You basically just work on the emotional aspect of it and the intimacy. Yeah. And you, you address any issues that might be going on. Maybe you're taking anxiety medication. There's going to be side effects potentially to that. Or maybe there's something happening um, with um, veins or something medically you need to have checked out with your doctor to find out, is there any issues with dysfunction or difficulty with erection? Or are you missing morning erections? What's happening with that? Or a lot of drinking involved. Does that affect that? Well, if a woman is, what's happening with your hormone levels? Are you having any pain when it comes, you know, to what might be, you might be experiencing? And so there's a lot that goes into it. I always recommend people get a medical, get medical checked out first, make sure everything's running on all cylinders, and then go to the psychological part to see what is being affected. And is there things getting in the way to drive down those, that libido or desire? Okay. Okay. So you have a relationship survival course for men. Tell me about that. That sounds intriguing. Yes. Well, I had to do something for the guys. Because oh, we need it. Uh, we need help. <laughs> I can tell you right now we need help. It's funny. I was talking about this the other day with my wife. Actually, this morning I said, you know, we need to be more uh, on average, not all men. Obviously, this wow. is a generalization. We need to be try to be a little bit more introspective. Try to be a little bit more reflective, self-evaluate, kind of like I'm with. And I think for a lot of men, we find it so hard to do that. So any help you can give us, talk to me about that. Yeah, that I, that's why I built this DIY course. Like you do it yourself because guys like to get in there and say, hey, I want to watch it this and do. Anyway, yeah, it, so it right. helps men work on that communication, how to communicate better with themselves and their partners, as well as sexual selves, how to have those conversations, how to look at your needs, wants, and desires. How do you do with boundaries? And how are you doing taking care of your, yourself? 
um, and what you're doing for your happy because I absolutely agree that there's no relationship change unless we change. And because when we change, it affects our partners in some way or the other, because they're not going to change. So the relationship survival for men was literally put together for all of my guys who are like, Hey, like, I, you know, versus having to sit hours with you, Dr. Chris, I just want to jump in a course and take it on my terms. And that's why I put it together really to address how to have this communication, how to have this intimacy issues and really speak up yeah. for their needs without fear. Wow. That's great. Um, you know, it's funny. I love this quote of, and I can't remember where I got this from, but it's basically along the lines of some and substance. You can't change others. You can only change yourself. And I guess, and I guess the point is, and I I've always looked at it. Like the point is if you change yourself, you see how people react to you differently and other people change as well. So just focus on changing you. That's the way I've always interpreted it. So you change yourself and you see how the world changes when you change yourself. So um, anyhow, is intimacy and sex the same thing? And if not, yeah. tell me the differences. Yeah, I'm really passionate about this because I didn't know there was any difference, right? I just like, oh, intimacy, sex, same thing until I got into this field and started working with people. No, they're totally opposite. And the way we want to think about it is intimacy is connection. That's all, just connection. And there's actually 12 types of intimacy. So 12 types of ways to connect versus sex, which can be a whole host of different ways to have that type of sexual connection. Right. So when we look at intimacy like this, we can say, hey, we got, like you and I talked about earlier, emotional intimacy, we got communication intimacy, crisis intimacy, like how do we deal with the crisis when it happens, when we get closer together, yeah. uh, spirit, spiritual intimacy. Oh my gosh, a big one, Dennis, is chore intimacy. Oh, right. That connection of doing chores and how you feel when a partner's helping out and doing it, you're both working on building the back deck and you feel closer together because you're doing yep. it together. That's like powerful stuff. And so when we look at intimacy, we know it's completely in tandem with trust. So as trust goes higher, so does intimacy, aka the connection. Physical intimacy, which is what we're talking a lot about today, that absolutely goes up too. So physical intimacy yeah. is one of the most common ones, but there's all kinds of types of intimacies that you can work on within yourself and your relationship that will improve all those others also. Sure, intimacy. So I just did a piece on this basically saying, hey, ladies, if you if your husband doesn't help with the kids, doesn't help with the groceries, doesn't help with all those things. And it's kind of a little chunk, little tongue in cheek. Um, I said, you have another child. And obviously it's a little edgy to, you know, to get attention. But the reality is the point was like, look, you know, these guys, I look, I understand you're working hard. So is your wife. You know, you're both, you know, burning the midnight oil on everything. But the reality is you need to share those things in common. And that's how you have another connection with your husband or wife. You want to preserve as many connections as you can. And one of those things is you parent your kids together. You grocery shop together. You cook together. You work in the yard together. Yeah, That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a big factor because then if not, it's a complaint of, oh, he doesn't help out or yeah, he works, but not so I'm supposed to take on all this other... So that can cause a lot of inequality in a relationship. And I'm going to be clear, it doesn't have to be 50-50 because none of us are 50, like it involves, right. but it's right. that trust, right, Dennis, that if I know right now in this time of like my partner had a, a medical issue, I know I'm going to have to pick up the pace a bit more, but I know when he's feeling better because he, I trust him and he delivers, I know he's going right. to step up when I need him to. And right. that's how intimacy builds and evolves and makes us even more in love with our partners than we did when we first met them because we have yeah. the proof of trust and intimacy. And he knows that that's the thing. He knows that when he needs you, you're going to be there and you're going to and you're going to put in the extra when it's necessary. 
Mm-hmm. And not so, complain about it and not yep. act like the martyr or the victim because that no scorecard. Right. Of, of who did. Uh, you know, Right. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, why is intimacy so important? Well, it's like connection because we got a crazy things happen in our day to day with all the things pulling us all the time and the logistics of life. Getting that connection, it might be where him and I might have coffee for 15 minutes in the morning before we go in our different ways. That's that connection together that I just have that touch point that helps me start my day or I know if I need something, I can bend his ear. So connection helps us feel safe. It shows us that we've got a partner and not just somebody on paper that looks good, that we are actually showing up just like I owe it to him to do the same as well. So connection is what gets us everything we want. And it doesn't mean it has to be consistently high all the time because trust comes and scoops that up when it can't be. But uh, it's in a relationship, neither one of us are waiting for the person to jump. Like we're both jumping as much as we can because we're intentional about the relationship. And that's what really breeds more connection is being intentional. Right. So what's the relationship between trust and intimacy? They're in tandem. They move together. When one goes up, the other one does. When one goes down, the other one does. And so for an example, someone say, oh, well, I can't really depend on my partner. They didn't really show up when I needed them to. Therefore, we don't might not use the word trust, but like, well, I just don't know if I can depend on them. So trust goes down. Therefore, intimacy and connection. All those types of intimacies travel with that. So we want to work on improving our relationships. Me as an individual, since I can't change him, I need to say, what are my actions and my behaviors? Is it helping trust? Or is it hurting trust? When I said something and went off, that did not help trust. It brought it down, which made him feel less connected to me. But when I come back and say, hey, you know what? I'm sorry. That came out sideways. I was stressed with work. I did not mean to dump on you. Sorry about that. Trust goes back up because he knows I didn't really mean it, that we all make mistakes. And so they travel together. You can't have one without the other. So when I hear someone say, I won't. You know, I want them to trust me more. I want to have a better relationship or I want to be able to talk to them about my sexual desires. I'm going to go, where are you at with trust? Is your mouth and your feet in the same direction? Or do you say one thing and then you do something different where you're leaving this huge gap where they can't trust what you say therefore you're not going to get intimacy you're looking for? Yeah. And it's funny because I feel like with, you know, and again, I don't know the experience through a woman's eyes because I'm, I'm a guy. So, uh, but I feel like guys, a lot of times what they'll do is, OK, we say or do something and then like, well, I don't have to say anything. I don't have to apologize. I don't have to communicate. I, I, I am who I am. They're not going to change me. They're trying to change me. No, like be understand, have some level of self-evaluation. And when you say something or do something that you might think your spouse might take as an insult or you might have overreacted, just say something, just acknowledge it minimally. And say, hey, you know, I overreact. I did it just the other night. I said to my wife, I said, look, I was way over the top with what I said. I'm sorry. I got triggered by this one thing that was said. I shouldn't have reacted the way that I did. But those little things, those little tidbits of communication throughout that I think a lot of guys overlook, which can lead to problems down the road. And again, here we are anti-divorce advice. Um, We overlook them and we shouldn't, you know. So that's why I feel like guys can really benefit from all the uh, all the advice you have to give. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that, Dennis, because what you did with your wife in that example, you were vulnerable with her. You said, hey, I'm sorry. I went, I shouldn't have said yeah. that that way. So your vulnerability wall drop where not that she would, but she could be like, yeah, Dennis, you do that all the time, pointing back at you. But she didn't. So she's taught you that you can be vulnerable with her because she's not going to yeah. come back at you. So then you're more up to next time apologize. And that helps. So 
if someone's listening in there in that kind of scenario and they're thinking, well, I can't be vulnerable with my wife or my partner because she's going to point it back and go off on me. Well, regardless, that's not your issue. That's hers. So right. you have to still do what you need to do, but then look big picture at your relationship. So I'm really glad you shared that because that vulnerability, that increases trust so much, therefore increases intimacy. And I'll give you another piece to that. I'll give you the end to that story. So I fully expected her to say, yeah, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have yelled. You know, you know what she her response was? Her response was, yeah, I know. I understand. It's a really sensitive issue for you. It was, you know, I'm sorry that I just came out with this suggestion in this way. So we were both kind of back and forth with each other. So it was nice. Mm-hmm. She's good. So, she is good. You know, lucky uh, man. Yeah. Oh, my God. Am I lucky? I married up for sure. <laughs> Absolutely <hear> <laughs> for sure. So so do you think a poor sex life can lead to divorce? Um, I think if there if a couple isn't recognizing that it's a poor sex life for one or both people and there are not some type of actions to do about it. And there's a lot of apathy around it and finger pointing conflict. Can it? Absolutely. What we find in studies is for most people, the boredom leads a lot of time to infidelity that leaves them want to yeah. step out. And, and look, I'm not saying somebody's got to swing from the chandelier to prevent boredom. That's not it at all. Boredom can come in the face of just not opening your mind and listening and what those needs are, even speaking up and knowing what your own needs are. So yeah. can it? Yep. That and a lot of other things, but it doesn't have to. And I tell you, sex can't be blamed for that because, or poor sex, because sex is a symptom of a bigger issue that's going on. So people land on my doorstep all the time, right? Oh, we got issues with sex. I'm like, all right, well, yeah. the club, most people do. I know I hear you. We're going to talk about that, but we also got to see what's underneath because if we don't fix the root, which is trust. Yep. And we don't fix that. Ain't nobody having sex. Ain't nobody like each other when you can't trust the person. So yep. the poor sex a lot of times is what is obvious, but it's the root underneath that most people avoid, don't deal with, which then leads them to divorce. Yep. Unpack everything that's underneath it because there's so much that leads up to it. And like you said, I was just going to mm-hmm. say, that's why I was smiling and nodding my head because I'm thinking like, but there are underlying problems that lead to the no sex. So mm-hmm. yes, there's a whole host of other problems underlying that. So um so what are the warning signs that sex life that a sex life is bad or it's becoming a problem? Well, if you are not feeling satisfied, if you're not feeling like uh, you're getting, let's say your needs met, now it's hard to like, well, okay, what's okay, what's not okay, that's with you and your relationship determined. But if you don't feel heard, if you feel shamed, if you feel um, like your partner is making sex be a chore, which can be a very big turn off, or they're just checking a box or they're not being present, that's definitely a problem that you're going to talk about and address and really go deeper and say, like, what's going on? I don't want to do anything you don't want to. What's happening? And try to have some understanding. Right. Um, and so that's the biggest thing is, like, are you feeling like you're being fulfilled what you're looking for? And with that being fulfilled, are you being realistic? Because it's really easy to have unrealistic expectations. Oh, I thought, you know, we got this relationship and we got together. We're having sex three times a week. And now, you know, a year or two later, we're only having sex once a week. Well, what did you think? What Most people aren't. Right, getting the kind of time to have sex that frequently, right. but are you connecting in any other kinds of way? Are there other intimacies that improving? And realizing that sex has got to, it's got to be in seasons because of different factors that affect what's going on, just like our relationships in seasons. So, you know, those red flags, if it's bothering you, it's enough to talk about it. But when you talk about it, make sure you're also holding space if you're in a partnership to talk to your partner and hear what they have to say. Don't make it all about you. And how can you prevent this from becoming an issue? I mean, you see the red flags. How do you pre- prevent it from getting to that point where it's leading to obviously those stuff underneath it? But how do you prevent those sorts of things? 
by talking about on face on when they come up in a way that's like, I want to talk about this. I know it's going to be hard to talk about and I'm not messed up as I'm sharing. So don't personalize or take, let me just put it out there and can you just hear me out? And it's an okay time to do that. Um, picking the right time to talk about it, knowing that you are in your own right self yep. of trying to be realistic uh, and then having a conversation. If you're going to talk, you also got to be ready to listen. And I think that's the biggest thing, right? We're like, oh, I want to communicate. I'm like, well, you're ready to listen too because you can't have one without the other. So talking about it, handling it, maybe you need some support from an outside source to work on that. You know, most importantly, do your own work. What you said earlier, that's why I'm a big proponent of like fix yourself first. Like do you what you need to do and bring your part to the relationship. If you're doing that and you're having a conversation and getting, you know, getting the direction you want to get in, nothing can really get in your way from getting your needs met. Yeah. And it's funny because I think that a lot of times we have so many things going on when you're married, right? You got kids, you got job, you got bills, you got house, you got lawn, you got. And when we want to have conversations like this, important ones, I think these are important conversations. We just think we're just going to blurt it out over dinner or blurt it out like in the morning. Like you need to like be smart about it. Okay, when I get in from work, I'm like super stressed out. I'm not even thinking clearly. That's not the best time to have the conversation. Okay, the kids are running around. Maybe when the kids are at the grandparents Saturday morning over coffee, you know, and have that sort of conversation. And again, there's a reason why we have one mouth and two ears. (laughs) We're supposed to be listening twice as much as we're talking. We usually don't, but. So for people who are getting divorced, how soon do you think it is? How soon should they be starting to get back sexually active again after being divorced? And I know this is a challenging one for people because it's there's a whole lot of baggage to unpack post-divorce. Yeah, there is. And it can be a lot of embarrassment, shame, guilt, negative feelings about self, inner critic, turmoil, like what's wrong with me, worthlessness. Yeah, there's a whole host of those. So it's really when you're ready. Are you like, hey, I just want to kind of get out there and go have a one night stand. I just want to go up there and hook yeah. up. As long as you know what you're doing and you're with someone who knows what they're doing and you're right. being transparent, like do your thing. But also don't go out in the expectation that you're going to go have sex to get into a relationship again. Like if you can separate out what that is versus what you're looking for, that's really important. You need to be really clear on what you're seeking in any type of connect. If you're seeking sex, be clear about what you're seeking. If you're trying to think, how can I just kind of connect with somebody because maybe you got some codependency issues, maybe you've got some self-confidence issues and you need that validated. If you're not clear on what you want, you need to stay at the house and get clear on that first. Doesn't mean you have to have everything flushed out perfectly and know the direction you're heading, but just do a little bit of self-awareness so you don't go there and get yourself in trouble. And one night stands are okay. Yeah, go for it. As long as it's consensual and everybody's on board and transparent, right. go for it. Right. Everybody has the same understanding for sure. So if someone is not satisfied with their sex life, what are three tips you could give them to changing that? Identify what's not satisfying for them. What is it? Is it the communication about it? Is it actually the act? Are they having pain, pleasure, or they're not experiencing pleasure? Or is there just have a factor that doesn't feel fulfilling for them? Number two um, I'd have them list out their turn-ons and their turn-offs. Like, make a full list. Like, what turns you on? Like, think outside the box. Get wild. Give it a little bit of a time to think. Don't have to do this within, like, five minutes. But just as important, what is your turn-off? What things, like, stop you in your tracks? You're like, hey, I don't, 
I can't have sex when you have your socks on. If that's like, oh, that just does. You know, like everybody's different. Yeah, right? put away the fishing socks. Put them away, right? They just do nothing for us. Um, so, you know, it's, it's important to look at both of those because a lot of times our partners may not realize or what maybe your partner does love having their socks on. So they may be offended. Right. I need my socks. You're like, well, if you want to have sex, we got to collaborate on this. Right. Um, so the second thing is turn ons and turn offs. And the third thing is start to fantasize a bit outside the bedroom. Hey, what might be fun? What would be fun? What have we not done? What can we add to the sexual buffet? Hey, I heard this on a podcast. Like I couldn't do it, but it's interesting. Can we just talk about it? It's really interesting that that was a turn on for them on that show. Um, I'm not into it, but oh, you know, I watched billions and I thought this, but I'm not really sure. Having the conversations without the idea that you're going to, or partner is going to go act on it. And that's a tricky one because fear is there, right? Hey, if I bring out, this is hot. Is she going to turn on and be like, oh my gosh, you're out there cheating on me again. Like you never know. Right. So that's why it has to be prefaced. Like, hey, this is just us talking and sharing because we're trying to build our intimacy. It doesn't mean somebody's going to go do anything. Let's be really clear on that. And it's okay to get that like extra about clarity um, to help both people feel safe and secure. So that's the first three things that I do. Okay, awesome. So do you think problems in the bedroom stem from something outside the bedroom? Uh, majority of the time, Yes. Majority of the time, yes. Now, it could be not taking care of medical health, not taking care of your body, not taking care of your mental health. It could be, obviously, factors of medication. Um, it could also be the, the biggest thing is a conflict within the relationships, right, of not being happy with another, being resentful, angry, disconnected, right, right. and not feeling a lot of trust in that. Another part could, if it, uh, that those are some examples of outside the bedroom. Um, one of the examples inside the bedroom is the communication. If you're not communicating about, you don't feel like it or not in the mood and then you feel attacked. Yeah. Or if you're saying, Hey, doing it that way doesn't work. If you could change and move over here, this would be better. And having the safety to do that, that will affect the pleasure. Okay. So you have a quiz on your website called how well do you know your needs? Tell me a little bit about that quiz. And I've been through it slightly myself. It's funny because I say slightly, but my assistant and I usually go through these quizzes anytime we find them on the websites and we love them. We always laugh because <laughs> we fail them every time. <laughs> so fail, but anyhow, but I love this. There's a few questions I want to share for our listeners. Why don't you tell me about the quiz first? Yeah, it's to help us tap into what our needs are as a whole person, because our sexual self is one of the six parts of us being a whole person. It's an important right. one, but it's not everything, yeah. right? We have our emotional, relational, career, physical, um, right. all these different parts of ourselves. but the, knowing what those needs are and knowing what we're needing from ourselves and those relationships that we get into is really important. So this helps kind of separate those to figure out how well do you know what you actually need? Okay. So here are my favorite questions. If your ideal sex life was a salsa, how spicy do you like it? Okay. Uh, spicier the better. Like it hot. Open to trying anything. Let's keep it fresh. That was the spicy one. <laughs> but you know your quiz better than I do, I'm sure. How often do you speak up for your emotional intimacy needs? That was a good one I thought was like super, super mm-hmm. helpful. And how happy and content would you say you are in your relationship? I think, look, I, I think the strength of the relationship is a huge function. And again, I don't know all of the technical lingo or the analysis that goes behind it, but like kind of I know what I see and I know what I've seen in my experience as a divorce lawyer and even being married now for, uh, you know, going on 16 years now. So um, actually 17, excuse me. Oh, don't. Uh, that was close. That was close. Yeah. So 
Um, yeah, but there can, there's such a connection there and you have to see that. And I will say, like I said before, I listen, when I see experts out here giving advice on these sorts of things, I try them at home. I, mm-hmm. I, I confess, I admit, I try these things at home mm-hmm. and I will tell you they work. Mm-hmm. They absolutely work. So you have two books, Fix Yourself First and Fix Yourself First. Four weeks as a couple. So there's a Fix gotcha. Yourself First for women working on like not blaming our partners, working on yourself, doing your own stuff. And then the other is four weeks for a better couple. So that okay. was more couples directed so that couples. Tell me about them. those, please. Yeah. So the first one is I took 25 of the most common issues that we do as women to screw up our relationships. And I put that one out a couple of years ago and it just takes each main issue that I see women do and explains the issue. Then here's what you need to do instead. So there's homework at the end of each section. And then for the four weeks to a better couple and the fix yourself first, it tackles communication intimacy and trust. And so it gives homework and assignments in that to be able to build those different areas within four weeks. Okay. Okay. Excellent. So if my listeners want to find you, your quiz, your books, work with you, tell me where they can find you and what services you offer. Sure. They can find my website at drchristyoverstreet.com or on Instagram at Christy underscore Overstreet. And on the website, I have that quiz, as well as a sexual self-esteem for men quiz to kind of figure out where you're at with your sexual self-esteem. And then I do some couples coaching and therapy, as well as a couple of different courses out there to help people to kind of DIY. Okay. So people can work with you directly if they want to. Yes. Okay. Excellent. Which is why I know when we were trying to schedule how busy you are. You have so many things going on. It's <laughs> so awesome. It's yeah. so good. I, I just feel like, you know, I uh, did a... Um, alive with uh, the been there got out um, people yes, and yes. I will tell you they use this phrase and I steal it and I use it in almost every podcast now that we need to be part of the wave mm-hmm. that's trying to help people you know live a better life so uh, yeah. so hopefully this podcast contributed to that wave so thank you so much again Christy it was really great having you on for everybody who tuned in thank you listeners again So glad we were able to provide this content for you today. Have a great day. I'll see you again next time. Take care. Bye-bye.